part three section twenty five of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three swan in love section twenty five but often enough the things that he did not know that he dreaded now to learn it was odette herself who spontaneously and without thought of what she did revealed them to him for the gap which her vices made between her actual life and the comparatively innocent life which swan had believed and often still believed his mistress to lead was far wider than she knew a vicious person always affecting the same air of virtue before people whom he is anxious to keep from having any suspicion of his vices has no register no gauge at hand from which he may ascertain how far those vices their continuous growth being imperceptible by himself have gradually segregated him from the normal ways of life in the course of their cohabitation in odette's mind with the memory of those of her actions which she concealed from swan her other her innocuous actions were gradually coloured infected by these without her being able to detect anything strange in them without their causing any explosion in the particular region of herself in which she made them live but when she related them to swan he was overwhelmed by the revelation of the duplicity to which they pointed one day he was trying without hurting odette to discover from her whether she had ever had any dealings with procuresses he was as a matter of fact convinced that she had not the anonymous letter had put the idea into his mind but in a purely mechanical way it had been received there with no credulity but it had for all that remained there and swan wishing to be rid of the burden a dead weight but none the less disturbing of this suspicion hoped that odette would now extirpate it forever oh dear no not that they don't simply persecute me to go to them her smile revealed a gratified vanity which she no longer saw that it was impossible should appear legitimate to swan there was one of them waited more than two hours for me yesterday said she would give me any money i asked it seems there's an ambassador who said to her i'll kill myself if you don't bring her to me meaning me they told her i'd gone out but she waited and waited and in the end i had to go myself and speak to her before she'd go away i do wish you could have seen the way i tackled her my maid was in the next room listening and told me i shouted fit to bring the house down but when you hear me say that i don't want to the idea of such a thing i don't like it at all i should hope i'm still free to do as i please and when i please and where i please if i needed the money i could understand the porter has orders not to let her in again he will tell her that i am out of town oh i do wish i could have had you hidden somewhere in the room while i was talking to her i know you'd have been pleased my dear there's some good in your little odette you see after all though people do say such dreadful things about her besides her very admissions when she made any of faults which she supposed him to have discovered rather served swan as a starting-point for fresh doubts than they put an end to the old for her admissions never exactly coincided with his doubts in vain might odette expurgate her confession of all its essential parts there would remain in the accessories something which swan had never yet imagined which crushed him anew and was to enable him to alter the terms of the problem of his jealousy and these admissions he could never forget 
his spirit carried them along cast them aside then cradled them again in its bosom like corpses in a river and they poisoned it she spoke to him once of a visit that forcheville had paid her on the day of the paris mercy fete what you knew him as long ago as that oh yes of course you did he corrected himself so as not to show that he had been ignorant of the fact and suddenly he began to tremble at the thought that on the day of the paris mercy fete when he had received that letter which he had so carefully preserved she had been having luncheon perhaps with forcheville at the maison d'or she swore that she had not still the maison d'or reminds me of something or other which i knew at the time wasn't true he pursued hoping to frighten her yes that i hadn't been there at all that evening when i told you i had just come from there and you had been looking for me at prevost she replied judging by his manner that he knew with a firmness that was based not so much upon cynicism as upon timidity a fear of crossing swan which her own self-respect made her anxious to conceal and a desire to show him that she could be perfectly frank if she chose and so she struck him with all the sharpness and force of a headsman wielding his axe and yet could not be charged with cruelty since she was quite unconscious of hurting him she even began to laugh though this may perhaps it is true have been chiefly to keep him from thinking that she was ashamed at all or confused it's quite true i hadn't been to the maison dorée i was coming away from forcheville's i had really been to prevost's that wasn't a story and he met me there and asked me to come in and look at his prints but someone else came to see him i told you that i was coming from the maison d'or because i was afraid you might be angry with me it was rather nice of me really don't you see i admit i did wrong but at least i am telling you all about it now ain't i what have i to gain by not telling you straight that i lunched with him on the day of the paris mercy fete if it were true especially as at that time we didn't know one another quite as well as we do now did we dear he smiled back at her with a sudden craven weakness of the utterly spiritless creature which these crushing words had made of him and so even in the months of which he had never dared to think again because they had been too happy in those months when she had loved him she was already lying to him besides that moment that first evening on which they had done a catlia when she had told him that she was coming from the maison dorée how many others must there have been each of them covering a falsehood of which swan had had no suspicion he recalled how she had said to him once i need only tell madame verderon that my dress wasn't ready or that my cab came late there is always some excuse from himself too probably many times when she had glibly uttered such words as explain a delay or justify an alteration of the hour fixed for a meeting those moments must have hidden without his having the least inkling of it at the time an engagement that she had with some other man some man to whom she had said i need only tell swan that my dress wasn't ready or that my cab came late there is always some excuse and beneath all his most pleasant memories beneath the simplest words that odette had ever spoken to him in those old days words which he had believed as though they were the words of a gospel beneath her daily actions which she had recounted to him beneath the most ordinary places her dressmaker's flat the avenue du bois the hippodrome he could feel dissembled there by virtue of that temporal superfluity which after the most detailed account of how a day has been spent always leaves something over that may serve as a hiding-place for certain unconfessed actions he could feel the insinuation of a possible undercurrent of falsehood 
which debased for him all that had remained most precious his happiest evenings the rue la perouse itself which odette must constantly have been leaving at other hours than those of which she told him extending the power of the dark horror that had gripped him when he had heard her admission with regard to the maison dorée and like the obscene creatures in the desolation of nineveh shattering stone by stone the whole edifice of his past if now he turned aside whenever his memory repeated the cruel name of the maison dorée it was because that name recalled to him no longer as such a little time since at madame de saint Hubert's party the good fortune which he had long had lost but a misfortune of which he was now first aware then it befell the maison dorée as it had befallen the island in the bois that gradually its name ceased to trouble him for what we suppose to be our love our jealousy are neither of them single continuous and individual passions they are composed of an infinity of successive loves of different jealousies each of which is ephemeral although by their uninterrupted multitude they give us the impression of continuity the illusion of unity the life of swan's love the fidelity of his jealousy were formed out of death of infidelity of innumerable desires innumerable doubts all of which had odette for their object if he had remained for any length of time without seeing her those that died would not have been replaced by others but the presence of odette continued to sow in swan's heart alternate seeds of love and suspicion on certain evenings she would suddenly resume towards him a kindness of which she would warn him sternly that he must take immediate advantage under penalty of not seeing it repeated for years to come he must instantly accompany her home to do a catlia and the desire which she pretended to have for him was so sudden so inexplicable so imperious the kisses which she lavished on him were so demonstrative and so unfamiliar that this brutal and unnatural fondness made swan just as unhappy as any lie or unkind action one evening when he had thus in obedience to her command gone home with her and while she was interspersing her kisses with passionate words in strange contrast to her habitual coldness he thought suddenly that he heard a sound he rose searched everywhere and found nobody but he had not the courage to return to his place by her side whereupon she in a towering rage broke a vase with i never can do anything right with you you impossible person and he was left uncertain whether she had not actually had some man concealed in the room whose jealousy she had wished to wound or else to inflame his senses sometimes he repaired to gay houses hoping to learn something about odette although he dared not mention her name i have a little thing here you're sure to like the manageress would greet him and he would stay for an hour or so talking dolefully to some poor girl who sat there astonished that he went no further one of them who was still quite young and attractive said to him once of course what i should like would be to find a real friend then he might be quite certain i should never go with any other men again indeed you think it possible for a woman really to be touched by a man's being in love with her and never to be unfaithful to him asked swan anxiously why surely it all depends on their characters swan could not help making the same remarks to these girls as would have delighted the princess de lome to the one who was in search of a friend he said with a smile but how nice of you you've put on blue eyes to go with your sash and you too you've got blue cuffs on what a charming conversation we are having for a place of this sort 
I'm not boring you, am I, or keeping you? No, I've nothing to do, thank you. If you bored me, I should say so. But I love hearing you talk. I am highly flattered. Aren't we behaving prettily? He asked the manageress, who had just looked in. Why, yes, that's just what I was saying to myself, how sensibly they're behaving. But that's how it is. People come to my house now just to talk. The prince was telling me only the other day that he's far more comfortable here than with his wife. It seems that nowadays all the society ladies are like that. A perfect scandal, I call it. But I'll leave you in peace now. I know when I'm not wanted, she ended discreetly, and left Swan with the girl who had the blue eyes. But presently he rose and said good-bye to her. She had ceased to interest him. She did not know Odette. The painter having been ill, Dr. Cotard recommended a sea voyage. Several of the faithful spoke of accompanying him. The Verdurons could not face the prospect of being left alone in Paris, so first of all hired and finally purchased a yacht. Thus Odette was constantly going on a cruise. Whenever she had been away for any length of time, Swann would feel that he was beginning to detach himself from her. But, as though this moral distance were proportionate, to the physical distance between them whenever he heard that odette had returned to paris he could not rest without seeing her once when they had gone away as every one thought for a month only either they succumbed to a series of temptations or else monsieur verdurin had cunningly arranged everything beforehand to please his wife and disclosed his plans to the faithful only as time went on anyhow from algiers they flitted to tunis then to italy greece constantinople asia minor they had been absent for nearly a year and swann felt perfectly at ease and almost happy albeit m verdurin had endeavoured to persuade the pianist and dr cotard that their respective aunt and patients had no need of them and that in any event it was most rash to allow madame cotard to return to paris where madame verdurin assured him a revolution had just broken out he was obliged to grant them their liberty at constantinople and the painter came home with them one day shortly after the return of these four travellers swann seeing an omnibus approach him labelled luxembourg and having some business there had jumped on to it and had found himself sitting opposite madame cotard who was paying a round of visits to people whose day it was in full review order with a plume in her hat a silk dress a muff an umbrella which due for a parasol if the rain kept off a card-case and a pair of white gloves fresh from the cleaners wearing these badges of rank she would in fine weather go on foot from one house to another in the same neighbourhood but when she had to proceed to another district would make use of a transfer ticket on the omnibus for the first minute or two until the natural courtesy of the woman broke through the starched surface of the doctor's wife not being certain either whether she ought to maintain the verdurins before swann she produced quite naturally in her slow and awkward but not unattractive voice which every now and then was completely drowned by the rattling of the omnibus topics selected from those which she had picked up and would repeat in each of the score of houses up the stairs of which she clamoured in the course of an afternoon i needn't ask you monsieur swann whether a man so much in the movement as yourself has been to the mirliton to see the portrait by machard that the whole of paris is running after well and what do you think of it whose camp are you in those who bless or those who curse it's the same in every house in paris now no one will speak of anything else but machard's portrait you aren't smart you aren't really cultured you aren't up to date unless you give an opinion on machard's portrait 
Swan having replied that he had not seen this portrait, Madame Cotard was afraid that she might have hurt his feelings by obliging him to confess the omission. Oh, that's quite all right. At least you have the courage to be quite frank about it. You don't consider yourself disgraced because you haven't seen Machard's portrait. I do think that is so nice of you. Well, now, I have seen it. Opinion is divided, you know. There are some people who find it rather labored, like whipped cream, they say. But I think it's just ideal. Of course, she's not a bit like the blue and yellow ladies that our friend Biche paints. That's quite clear. But I must tell you perfectly frankly, you'll think me dreadfully old-fashioned, but I always say just what I think, that I don't understand his work. I can quite see the good points there are in his portrait of my husband. Oh, dear me, yes. And it's certainly less odd than most of what he does. But even then he had to give the poor man a blue moustache. But Machard, just listen to this now, the husband of my friend, I am on my way to see at this very moment, which has given me the very great pleasure of your company, has promised her that if he is elected to the academy, he is one of the doctor's colleagues, he will get Machard to paint her portrait. So she's got something to look forward to. I have another friend who insists that she'd rather have Le Lois. I'm only a wretched Philistine and i've no doubt le Lois has perhaps more knowledge of painting even than machard but i do think that the most important thing about a portrait especially when it's going to cost ten thousand francs is that it should be like in a pleasant likeness if you know what i mean having exhausted this topic to which she had been inspired by the loftiness of her plume the monogram on her card-case the little number inked inside each of her gloves by the cleaner and the difficulty of speaking to swann about the verderon Madame Cotard, seeing that they had still a long way to go before they would reach the corner of the Rue Bonaparte, where the conductor was to set her down, listened to the promptings of her heart, which counseled other words than these. Your ears must have been burning, she ventured, while we were on the yacht with Madame Verderon. We were talking about you all the time. Swann was genuinely astonished, for he supposed that his name was never uttered in the Verderon's presence. You see, Madame Cotard went on, madame de crecy was there need i say more when odette is anywhere it's never long before she begins talking about you and you know quite well it isn't nasty things she says what you don't believe me she went on noticing that swann looked sceptical and carried away by the sincerity of her conviction without putting any evil meaning into the word which she used purely in the sense in which one employs it to speak of the affection that unites a pair of friends why she adores you no indeed i'm sure it would never do to say anything against you when she was about one would soon be taught one's place whatever we might be doing if we were looking at a picture for instance she would say if only we had him here he's the man who could tell us whether it's genuine or not there's no one like him for that and all day long she would be saying what can he be doing just now i do hope he's doing a little work it's too dreadful that a fellow with such gifts as he has should be so lazy forgive me won't you I can see him this very moment. He's thinking of us. He's wondering where we are. Indeed, she used an expression which I thought very pretty at the time. Monsieur Verderon asked her, How in the world can you see what he's doing when he's a thousand miles away? And Odette answered, Nothing is impossible to the eye of a friend. No, I assure you, I'm not saying it just to flatter you. You have a true friend in her, such as one doesn't often find. I can tell you besides, in case you don't know it, that you're the only one madame verderon told me as much herself on our last day with them one talks more freely don't you know before a parting i don't say that odette isn't fond of us but anything that we may say to her counts for very little 
beside what swan might say oh mercy there's the conductor stopping for me here have i been chatting away to you and would have gone right past the rue bonaparte and never noticed will you be so very kind as to tell me whether my plume is straight and madame cotard withdrew from her muff to offer it to swan a white-gloved hand from which there floated with a transfer ticket an atmosphere of fashionable life that pervaded the omnibus blended with the harsher fragrance of newly cleaned kid and swan felt himself overflowing with gratitude to her as well as to madame verdurin and almost to odette for the feeling that he now entertained for her was no longer tinged with pain was scarcely even to be described now as love while from the platform of the omnibus he followed her with loving eyes as she gallantly threaded her way along the rue bonaparte her plume erect her skirt held up in one hand while in the other she clasped her umbrella and her card-case so that its monogram could be seen her muff dancing in the air before her as she went end of part three section twenty five recording by expatriate in bangor maine